Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. Oh, God is so good, y'all. I think we, I think we so underestimate. I think I shared with you last week. Uh, it might have been last week. I was at least sharing it with somebody. Um, probably about two to three times a week, I get a word from somebody that says, you're not thinking big enough, you're not thinking big enough, you're not dreaming big enough, you're not asking big enough. And those that know me, I, I have a pretty big expectation of God and, and the Lord, yet he keeps coming and saying, but you're not thinking big enough yet. And it's not in this place of condemnation. What it is is this is invitation. See, sometimes when the Lord comes and he brings a word to you, it, it's a word to call you to a higher place. A lot of times we look to where we lack because the word's been brought to us. And we're like, oh, gosh, I'm lacking this ear, and he's having to correct me. No, no, no. It's not condemnation. Let me hear you say it's not condemnation. Let me hear you say it's an invitation. There's an invitation to more. There's an invitation to greater things. There's an invitation to, to expanding something where we could reach the, you know, what your mind can't imagine, what you can't even think about, what you can't even comprehend. Like the Lord wants to do that, and he wants to bring that into your life and through your life. And so as crazy as the world is going on right now, I mean, like I think we could all agree on every generation's probably said it's never been as crazy as this. You know, the, the World War II generation looked in the world. I mean, the whole world in chaos, millions and millions of people dying. There was all kinds of stuff, and their generation said, they can't get crazier than this. And then the World War I generation goes, yeah, well, we saw it too, right? And then you go, it's always something in a generation has a battle or a war to fight. Ours is not any different than those battles because our Lord is still the same God that led people through those battles to this. Our God is the same Lord who led the early church to actually be birthed in occupation. Do you understand that? The Jews, the the Jewish nation Israel was actually in occupation by Rome, by a foreign government. They, They could not do really what they wanted to do if they did not have the permission of the Romans. Now, thankfully for them, the Romans really didn't care all that much. You can worship whatever gods you got. You're still inferior to us. So they didn't meddle a whole lot. But the point of the matter is this. The the Jewish nation was in occupation. Jesus was born into an occupied state. He was born into a world that was occupied and in warfare because of sin. And that's the reason he came, to destroy the works of the devil. And the early church was birthed into still the occupation of Rome. And yet, it spread across the planet because it did not matter what the purpose of the enemy was. It did not matter what the purpose of nation states were. It didn't matter what what a terrorist thought. It didn't matter uh, because Paul, can we be real honest? Paul was a terrorist before he became an apostle. He actively sought out, even though he thought he was righteous, Christians to kill them for no other reason because they were Christians. And yet, Lord grabs a hold of his heart and transformed him and said, let me tell you really who you are. It wasn't condemnation. Paul, why do you keep killing my people? It was Paul. You don't know why you're persecuting me. You think you're doing my will. If you only knew who I really was, and all of a sudden he has this revelation of Jesus Christ, the arisen one, the ascended one, the one seated at the right hand of the Father, and everything in Paul's life transformed in that moment. I feel like we're living in another one of those seasons where it's time to, for us as a church to think bigger, to dream bigger, to believe bigger. 
and to not fall underneath the weight of the expectation of the world. We always kind of use this language. We dance around. There's a difference between facts and truth. And that's certainly, to a great extent, is true. Like, the fact is somebody can have cancer. The truth is God heals, right? And the truth of God always overwhelms the facts of the situation. But, but I really think we have to look around and not get caught up in what we see right now in the world. I'm not caught up in it. I'm not worried. I've had multiple people ask me, are you worried about the coming famine? Are you worried about this? No, I'm not. Well, why? Because my eyes are so firmly planted on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. He began it, he's moving through it, and he will finish it. He will complete it. I'm not worried about what's going on. Somebody asked me the other day, you're sending your daughter up to eight hours away for school. Aren't you worried about? I'm like, no. You know why? I've trained her up in the way she should go. She knows who Jesus is. She knows who she is. And I'm trusting that Holy Spirit is is who he says he is, that he leads people into all truth, that he brings people into a place of righteousness. I'm not afraid. Anytime we begin to move from this place of fear about what's coming, we use the knowledge of good and evil to come up with excuses why it's impossible for God to move in our generation, why it's impossible for a nation that's gone haywire to come back to God. We come up with stupid excuses because it's according to the knowledge of good and evil, which is this facts on the ground. But let me tell you what, I care more about the facts of heaven So should you. Last week I told you the seasons turn. We can no longer tolerate certain things. We, we cannot tolerate a belief system in our head that says God is, can't do what he wants to do because of this and this political party, this and this you know, thing going on, or Russia, or whatever it is. I don't care. All I know is all things are possible for the one who believes that God is who he says he is and that he does what he says he's going to do. Gabriel comes to, to uh, Elizabeth and tells Elizabeth that she's going to be impregnated with John the Baptist. And she's like, I am old. Like, my, my childbearing days have long passed. And the Lord says this, what's impossible for man? All things are possible for God. Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. Let me hear you say, nothing will be impossible for God. It's time that we move from that being a raw, raw statement that we try to hope that's true, we wish that was true, into a place of like, in peace, I recognize that's true. I don't have to raise the volume of my voice. I don't have to amp myself up and say, all things are possible for God. Everything is. Sometimes when we amp up our emotions, it's because we actually don't believe and I'm, all, I'm, an, I'm a loud, out loud, amped up, emotional person, okay? But it's never for, the, for effect. It's always from the overflow of his heart and his passion and his zeal. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I look before me, amazing group of people. Like, I just want you to look at the, the, who's in the room right now. Notice the age differences. Notice the, the uh, gender differences. Notice the uh, ethnic differences. Like, we are a diverse group of people. We, we really do represent, and to a great extent, of what's possible for unity in the body of Christ. 
And I believe the body of Christ will come in unity, but I'm not responsible for all the other ones in the region. I'm responsible here. And what I'm telling you is I'm proud of you. I'm proud of each and every one of you step into a place of faith. I look at each of you and I go, there's nothing impossible that this place can't do. There's nothing that this, this group of people cannot accomplish in God. Just with the ones in this room, we could take the city and New Braunfels back. Just the ones in this room, we could see cancer healed in every single ward in the hospital. Just the ones that are in the pre-K room, we could do that. In fact, we'll actually probably be more successful because they don't have hang-ups that, that adults do. Just in this room, we could actually see the economy of the world actually watch and go, why are those people so blessed? There's famines and this or that, but the people of God are, are so blessed. What's going on? Because we happen to believe that God provides. We happen to move in purity of heart. We happen to move in generosity. We happen to move in heaven-born ideas that actually brings radical transformation in the planet. We're, we're, this, listen to this. We're police departments once used to have to go to mediums to solve cold cases, and suddenly they're calling up the local church because the local church knows how to find lost people. The CEOs are calling up and going, I've got this business idea, and it ain't working, but I've heard about you. We talked about Melissa McBroom. Her husband, Scott, is one of those kingdom entrepreneur guys. God gives him ideas and, and strategies in the court of heaven that actually opens doors here on the earth where no other person was able to make a product, get the market. and all of a sudden he walks in the room. Strategy from heaven. It's a prophetic gifting. Strategy from heaven all of a sudden start, starts moving. Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's impossible. Somebody asked me, well, how are we going to win back our schools? There's going to be people in here who are going to be elected to the school board. Transformation begins in that place because culture is set in the school board. You hear what I'm saying? This is the season. Don't get caught up in the fact that it's a season of war. Because everything that hell has is going to be thrown at you to stop you from bringing the transformation of heaven. That's why the war is here. But let's talk about some multiple ways, of other reasons why you might be in warfare. Number one would be this. The enemy is attempting to stop your destiny, whether that be through illness or circumstances. You, you can look at Moses. The, the enemy wanted to stop the redemption work of God by killing all the babies. He moved the heart of favor to kill all the babies, and yet Moses made it through. You can look to Jesus. The enemy tried to stop a generational movement by killing the babies to and under. And yet Jesus was born and transformed everything. So maybe the warfare that you're in is not because you've done something wrong or you're out of alignment with God, but maybe the destiny on your life, hell believes in your destiny more than you do. Come on. Are we ready to wake up? Why would a demon have more faith in the destiny of God on your life than you believe in the destiny of God on your life? It's time to wake up. It's time to shake this thing off. I used the story last week in Acts chapter 19 of the seven sons of Sceva who, who did not know God, but they tried to, to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon goes, well, 
Jesus I know, and I fear him. Paul I've heard about, I fear him. Who are you? I don't fear you. And that's why he had the authority to actually beat him up. What I want to tell you is this. What if you woke up in the morning as a born-again son or daughter of God who really understood what this thing was all about, and you realize, I'm known in heaven. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm known in heaven. I'm secured in heaven. I'm loved by heaven itself, the one of heaven. And I'm feared in hell. This warfare I'm going through right now, yeah, it's because I've got a destiny to fulfill, and the enemy is scared of me. So now it's time to get up and carry out the destiny. I don't shrink away. I don't say, oh, Lord, pray for me. No, I go, yep, got him right where I want him. He's afraid of me. And you start coming against the things that are trying to come against you. There is another reason, though, that you might be in warfare. It might be because you do have open doors. It might be because you've had bad belief system about who God is and who you are and what you're capable of. It might be bad choices and the warfare's at your doorstep. You're going, oh my gosh, what's going on? But here's the thing. It's not about condemnation. It's also bringing you to a place where you can repent. When the Lord shows up and says, yeah, you made some bad choices. Yeah, the enemy's being able to do. You want, you're praying for me to stop. And he's like, I wish I could, but you've legally allowed the enemy a place to accuse you. It's time to repent, come back into alignment with beloved identity, get your heart cleaned up, and guess what happens? Then you have the paperwork to tell the de- enemy to take a hike. So that might be a reason you're in warfare. And if that's you, Deal with your heart, get into relationship, confess your sins to one another, and get back to a place of restoration. We don't need to drag this thing out. We just need to come back to this place of, yeah, that was stupid. Now let me get back to the place of beloved identity. Do you hear what I'm saying? Clean up the mess. Let's get together. There's another reason you might be in warfare, the unbelief of others around you. If you've ever gone to work, you know, like, it's just hell to be here at work, and everybody's negative, and they're always doing this and that, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Well, it's because they probably have unbelief, and it's impacting you. But what if you impacted them? Instead of changing jobs, how about you change the environment of your job? What if he who's in you is stronger than the one that's in the world, or your job, or your school, or your other family members? Right? Why is our focus got to be on what's out there instead of who he is in here and through me? And you can look at Joshua and Caleb. They were ready to take the promised land, but it was the unbelief of the rest of the nation. And they had to deal with it for 40 stinking years. They're like, we could take it now. But now we got all these unbelievers that are grumbling and complaining and they're acting like slaves. And like the Lord's going to still carry out his purpose and plan, but he's going to do it with the people of faith. Here's my point. Don't remain a grumbler. Don't remain a complainer. Get into a person of faith. Become a person of faith and then realize the giants will come down when you stop complaining and you start worshiping. The giants will come down when you stop being worried about how big Goliath is and you start realizing the stones that you have in your hand, which is the truth of God, it's the word of God, it's the promise of God, it's the Holy Spirit, and you get to take them out. It's time to move in. There might be another reason. The Spirit leads you to a place of testing that activates and solidifies what he's doing in you 
so that he can do something through you. The Spirit might lead you to a place of testing that activates and solidifies what God's doing in you so he can do something through you. You can look at Jesus and look forward. We're going to read it here in a second. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 4. I just want to briefly look at that. But he did something through that. So the question now becomes, I'm not of alignment with God. I'm believing what I need to believe. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in right relationship with him. There's no sin in my life in that stuff. But man, it just seems like the devil just has access to mess with me and to tempt me. Let me tell you this. When we, when we define temptation as me being out of alignment, we actually give the devil more permission to come tempt us because we think it's something wrong with us. But Jesus was without sin. And he was tempted in every way you and I are tempted. God bless you. Sometimes we say, oh, I have a sin nature, and that's what's speaking to me. Instead of going, no, if I'm born again, the old is past, the new has come. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've become the righteousness of God. I've become the righteousness of God. I've become, I need to hammer this home. I've become. If you're born again, say I am. Then say, I've become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. So there's a new reality. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have a sin nature? Nope. And yet he was still tempted by the devil. We need to stop blaming the temptations that we used to get tripped up with. Like if you ever dealt with, let's just use a big one, pornography. Like, man, I repented, I turned from it. And then every once in a while, it's like somebody walks by or whatever, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I fall? Did I, you know, did I fall back? Did I mess up? What is it? And like, no, the enemy's just trying to tempt you in a more opportune time. Not because it's in you, but he's trying to use the old you to trick you into becoming the old you again. Don't fall for the trick. Jesus was without sin. You can live without sin. I'm going to give you two more reasons, and we're going to read Luke chapter 4. There's another reason you might be in warfare. God has sent you to take territory head on. If you're going in the political world right now, it is warfare. So know that you're going into a war, but you're going to bring peace. You're going to bring the solutions of heaven. But just understand that maybe by your very assignment necessitates the transformation of a battlefield into a place of peace. Do you hear what I'm saying? The bringing of the kingdom in a different place. And one last thing, the enemy's retaliating against you for taking territory. I'll just tell you this, this last year, our family has gone through a bunch of different crazy trials from illness to death. And, and, and some people going, well, are you okay? You're okay? Yeah. The devil's a jerk. Dead things do dead things. Like, it doesn't surprise me. God didn't forget me. He didn't abandon my family. He didn't all of a sudden, I've got a curse on my family because things have been allowed to happen. No, it's retaliation because what we've took a stand for. It's the enemy trying to stop the fulfillment of the kingdom being transforming this entire region and nation. That's what we're called to do. And the enemy's throwing stuff at us. I, I know what, why we're in battle. Somebody asked me recently, said, well, I've prayed, and the battle keeps coming. Well, Jesus, we'll read it here. Jesus was tempted three different times that's read, but he was tempted a lot more than that. 
So the question we have to start asking is this. How did Jesus approach warfare? How did Jesus approach and, and respond to temptation and the attack of the enemy against him? We need to get into that mindset. Look at what Jesus did, because if Jesus did it, that's the way we should be doing it and stepping into it. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Let me hear you say, full of the Holy Spirit. This is immediately after he's been baptized by John, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. It's important. You can't do anything if you're not full of the Holy Spirit. And not just you got born again and you got the Holy Spirit when you're born again experience. You need to be continually full of the Holy Spirit. It's a continual motion. Jesus, everything that Jesus did was in submission to his Father and under the power of the Holy Spirit. 100% God, 100% man. But he laid down his divinity so he could actually demonstrate what it means to be a born-again believer. 100% in relationship with Father. I don't do anything my Father don't tell me to do. I don't say anything he hasn't said to say. I'm in full in relationship. And then under the power of the Holy Spirit, every miracle, every prophetic word, everything he did was under the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so said you and I. So Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Let's read that again. The Holy Spirit led Jesus around in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it's not just the devil. I mean, the devil did come, but also all the demons. He was surrounded by birds of the air, beasts of the field, his types and shadows for for the demonic realm, he was being tempted in the, de in the desert. Now, there's another scripture, because sometimes people get hung up on this, saying, well, I thought scripture says God doesn't tempt you with evil. That's true. He won't tempt you with the evil thing, but he will allow the evil to come to solidify something inside of you, to allow you to be tested and refined. To see if he give you an opportunity, and here's why. Not because he thinks you're going to fail, because he thinks you're going to succeed. It's a shift in mindset. Where you go, I'll go. How you think, I'll think. What you believe, I'll believe. I mean, this is what we're talking about. It says, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And notice that he attacks his identity. If you really are the son of God, if you really are who God says you are, it's not just an attack also on who Jesus was. It's actually an attack on the identity of his father. If you're really the son, why hasn't God provided for you in the desert place? It, it, it goes two ways. I'm going to attack your identity. I'm going to attack his identity. That's what the devil does every single time that he comes to you. He's always trying to cast doubt but look at the way Jesus responded to the warfare. Jesus answers him, it is written. Let me hear you say it's written. It wasn't a blog. It wasn't Facebook or Instagram. It wasn't a TikTok video he saw. It is written. It goes back to the word of God. He goes back to the truth of God. And look what he says. Man shall not live on bread alone. It actually continues and says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 5, and the devil led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. Remember, we live in time and space. The supernatural realm does not. 
okay? We as humanity live in time and space, but the supernatural realm is not. So the devil is able to enter into time to tempt Jesus, takes him out of time for a moment to show him all the kings of the world from the very beginning to the very end of time. And, and this is what he says. I will give you domain in all of its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I want. So therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Notice the attack of the enemy is this. It's temptation for authority. It's temptation for significance and destiny. The, the devil actually had legal authority to give this to Jesus because when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed over authority on the earth over to the next most powerful being, and that was the devil who came into the earth and picked it up. So he was not lying. He actually had legal authority to give it away, only because Adam and Eve had handed it over. We need to look at this and realize he's afraid of you taking back what is rightfully God's. He understands that he's only occupying a territory that was gained because he got somebody to believe a lie and to fall away. But it was never his in the first place. The earth was never meant to be the devil's. It's always meant to be God's and his creation. And this is why we were sent in to be fruitful and to multiply, to bring the kingdom. This is why all of creation groans, waiting for sons of God to show up. Because the earth knows we are blessed when we're underneath the domain of the king. But we are cursed when we're underneath the domain of the father of lies. Anytime you see the kingdom of darkness, it's always going to be depression. It's always going to be a lack of fruitfulness. It's always going to be disease. Like, that's what it is. The creation itself groans, wanting for you and I to show up. And so Jesus shows up in this moment, and he's realizing he is the rightful king. And, if he, and look what the devil looks for. He wants his worship. If you will only give to me what is only his, and that's what the devil come to you. He's trying to tempt you to give away not just your inheritance, more importantly than the inheritance he's trying to get you to give away, he's trying to get you to give away your heart and affection to someone other than God. That's really, he uses the bait of dominion to get to what he really wants, which is worship and adoration. And so the enemy will try to use all kinds of things that look good only so you'll be able to worship him and give him praise. But look what it says this. Jesus replies to him, it is written. I don't think Jesus raised his voice. I don't think he all of a sudden had the Charleston Heston voice, right? I mean, I just, I think it was like, it's written. Like, you keep throwing stuff my way, but it's written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Notice he doesn't even dress the kingdoms of the world. He understands what the real temptation is. I ain't going to worship you. I'm not going to give my heart over to you. Who do you think you are? Verse 8, or 9, I'm sorry. And the devil brought Jesus into Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, notice this, the devil now comes and says, Oh, this whole written stuff, you respond to the, the word of God. Let me throw the word of God at you and pervert it. For it is written that God will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. 
So now the devil's coming to actually cast aspersions and using the twisting of the word of God. So you will no longer trust in the word of God, but you'll, you'll trust in a voice that sounds like, sounds like God, but isn't. And look at the response of Jesus. It has been stated. You shall not put the, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't go, that's a pretty good point. I wonder if I throw myself off if God, my, will you actually? I think you will. Let's, what the heck? Let's just try it. Jesus is like, no, I'm not falling for your stupidity. I'm not going to let you manipulate me with the word twisted. I'm going to go back to what I know about my father, what I'm going to know about myself, what I'm going to know about his timing, his purpose, and his plan. I only go where he tells me to go. I only stay where he tells me to stay. I only say what he tells me to say. And he ain't telling me to jump off. Now, if the father said, yeah, do a cannonball off the pinnacle, Jesus would have done a cannonball off the pinnacle. And he would have been okay. But he didn't hear that. And he goes back in this. No, no, no. I'm not going to test God was something stupid. Somebody asked me, you're the, one of those charismatic churches, where are the snakes at? I said, with all due respect, it's stupid. There's no practical value for me picking up a snake and go, ooh. But there is practical value when somebody has cancer and laying hands on them. There is practical value when somebody is far off from God and giving a prophetic word that brings them back to him. There's practical out fruit and fruit of that, right? Don't test the Lord your God just because you can. Maybe you should think, should you? It's warfare. He's trying to get you out of your purpose, the plan that God has for your life. So look what it says in verse 13. And so when the devil had finished every temptation, let me hear you say every temptation. He was there for 40 days. Some people think, well, he waited till the 40th day. He got hungry, and that's when he came. No, the entirety of the 40 days, the devil's tempting Jesus the whole time. We just have a recording of three of those instances. But when every temptation had been carried out, he left him until an opportune time. Let me hear you say an opportune time. What does that tell you? He's coming back. Somebody says, well, I cast out the devil. Why do you come back? Because he's still trying to trip you up. Because for a moment in time, he's allowed by the Lord to roam around. Why does he get to do that? I'm not God. If I was God, I wouldn't do it. I would have cut his head off already. I would have thrown him in the lake of fire and been done and over with it. But that's why I'm not God. And that's why I'm not king. He thinks in a different plane. And so the point of this matter is, when you're tempted, don't go, oh, go, no. How did Jesus handle temptation? How did he handle this moment of warfare? Maybe it's illness coming on me. How am I going to handle it? Am I going to start believing bad beliefs? Maybe God's sending me cancer in order to teach me a lesson. That's abusive. That's a bad belief. You need freedom, not just from cancer. You need freedom from a bad belief system. The devil is a jerk. He still kills and destroys wherever he can do it. But Romans 8, 28, we've already quoted it once. But he works all things out for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
No matter what you're going through, nothing's impossible with God. If something's come your way, don't make an agreement with the warfare. Don't make an agreement with the attack. Don't make an agreement with the enemy. Only make an agreement with the one of heaven who will bring you through it. And continue to ask the question, what are your thoughts on this? Because here's where we're getting into. We have to take our mind, our will, our emotions, our expectations, our belief systems, and bring it into alignment with the way that Jesus thinks. Jesus' will, Jesus' emotions, Jesus' thoughts, Jesus' expectations, Jesus' faith, Jesus' belief system. If I carry a belief system that's not consistent in him, I'm out of alignment. It's time to repent. And even the twisting of Scripture to back up stupid doctrines. And I'm going to call them stupid doctrines because they keep people in chains. Well, you're just a worm. No, you're not. You're a child of God. He's working a purpose inside of your life. Give your life to him. Trust him. Worship him in the middle of it. Recently, Bill Johnson, his wife, Benny Johnson, passed. And I think I might have mentioned it, but if you have not gotten a chance to listen to the message he preached three days after his wife passed from a battle with cancer. And, and by the way, here's what's so crazy. A cancer that they've seen healed thousands of times. Bill's not going, oh, woe is me. Why did you let this happen? Why did you do this? Did it not work? Did we not pray well? No, 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 no. He preaches three days later and takes the breaking of the bread of his soul, and he says this, I get to do something in this moment that I can never do from the perspective of eternity. There is no sorrow. There is no loss. There is no uh, terror in heaven. But here on the earth, in the place of losing my wife, despite believing and doing everything I've known to do, what am I going to do in this moment? And he said, I'm going to be comfortable with mystery, and I'll find out there. And I'm going to offer, offer a sacrifice of praise from a place of loss that turns a place of loss into a worship service. He didn't let the warfare define him. He didn't let loss define him. He's going to ask this question very gently. What have you lost that you've allowed to become a hang-up in your relationship with God, in your belief system. You hear a message like this, and in one side of you know it's right, and the other side, but, but what I've experienced is, why does your negative experience get to rewrite the words of God? See, sometimes it's not the devil coming to us, saying, hey, will you worship me? Sometimes... It's a place of loss or offense or frustration or what God should have done or he didn't do or whatever it is. And we allow that to speak to us and say, hey, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you relief from what you're worried about. And we need to go back to the place that says, but it's written. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I will not come into agreement and offer worship to a false God. 
And bad beliefs can become false gods. I just feel like the Lord's doing it in the room right now. I want to go rah-rah. But let's just take a moment right where you're at. Because there's some in the room that just need the comfort of the Holy Spirit for a moment. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come into this room. And would you just reveal the goodness of the Father's heart towards everyone in the room right now? Would you release the comfort that comes with you? And would you release the solution that brings us into wholeness? So it's right where you're at right now. It's very simple. I want to activate you. If it was you and that, that hits you where you realize, oh, my gosh, there's something I have, a loss experience that's become big like that, then right where you're at in your own mind, you don't have to say it out loud. Just, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I repent from making that situation bigger than you. I repent from holding you responsible for the bad situation that took place. I come back into alignment with your heart and I cut the soul tie to that experience or that negative thing. As an act of my will, I choose to receive the wholeness that you made possible on the cross. I give you permission to invade every area that those things held within me. I choose to worship you right now. Let him do some work in your heart in this moment. This wasn't a moment of effect. This is a divine encounter, a divine appointment that Jesus wanted to have with you because he loves you. He believes in you. And he has a bigger purpose for your life than what that circumstance or situation would have told you. And in this moment, I see him just placing a crown on some people's heads right now. And what the crown is, it's actually the faith of Jesus. The faith to believe like Jesus believes despite that situation. 
So I just receive that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I can promise you that wasn't in my notes, but it was in his. So let's just continue reading this. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. How did he go into the wilderness? In the fullness of the Spirit. How did he come out of the wilderness? In the power of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. How did he get through the wilderness? In the power of the Spirit. Sometimes the Lord wants you to get to this place of such a total dependency upon him He'll remove comfort in order to be able to get you to confront your, your uh, dependency upon human comfort instead of my total dependency upon his provision. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. He was a a rabbi, so he had the permission to do this. Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. What did he use in the desert place? It is written. God said, this is the word of the Lord. He used that, and he comes back, and he says, now it's a new season. This is the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, to proclaim release to the captives and to recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And in the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. And now he began to say to them, Today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How did Jesus respond to warfare? With the word of God, with his identity, he did not move out of that place. He knew who his father was and he knew who he was and he knew the purpose that he'd been sent. And he was not going to allow an attack or temptation of the enemy to move him off of that assignment. What happens as he comes out of the desert place? There's a place of promotion. Before this place, only a few people knew him. But all of a sudden, in this place of temptation that leads to a place of promotion and the power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly the region begins to hear about him. The the renown, and that's my point. Why the warfare? Because on the other side of the warfare is actually promotion for you. On the other side of the temptation is actually a promotion for the region. Because it's not just about promoting me. It's about promoting his kingdom that brings the reformation of the kingdom into every area of society. God is doing something in our time and space. Do you know that the Messiah's mandate that he reads in Isaiah, it was fulfilled in that time, but it still needs to be fulfilled today. Do you understand this? What Jesus was saying is, you've been looking for the Messiah. You've been looking for one who was anointed with the Spirit of God. You've been looking the one who could actually set the captives free, who could actually preach a gospel to those poor in spirit so they could become rich in him. You've been looking for the one that would open the eyes of the blind, both physical and in the spiritual realm. You've been looking for the one to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. And today, I'm here is what he was saying. And my point is this, 
His call is your call. Now, we don't need to make it weird. I walk into work tomorrow. Hi, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel of the poor. Da, 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 da. Like, no. I walk in knowing who I am. And when assignments come up before me, I know, ah, I can fulfill that right now. Underneath the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I am the fulfillment. Let me hear you say, I am the fulfillment. That's why it says, does that make you Jesus? No, but I look like him. I'm his brother. He was the firstborn among all new creation. He's my God. He's my king. What's possible with him is possible for me because I submit to him. How did Jesus navigate and respond to warfare? He pressed into his father's relationship, and he pressed into his destiny. Elijah, let me give you a few more examples. Elijah destroys 800 total prophets, 400 from one false god, 400 from another. Who were, and and he, he burns them, he kills them. It, it's an amazing story. And then Jezebel shows up. One spirit, one woman shows up and begins to make him move into despair and depression. He just killed 800 he had just made a, a stack of wood that was soaked with water catch on fire from heaven. And yet, the Jezebel comes, and now you're despairing? And so Elijah, he runs away, and he's confronted now. I've had this place of breakthrough. The enemy doesn't like it. He begins to resist Elijah from being able to move in because the enemy knew that God had a bigger plan than just destroying 800 prophets. What happens? He meets Elijah up in the mountainside, and it's not the, the big uh, earthquake, it's not the firestorm, it's none of those things. What is it? Whisper of a voice. Intimacy. Everybody wants to ask, what's the key to breakthrough? Intimacy. It, it, <laughs> it happens sometimes even in, during worship here, but just imagine if you're in a place of intimacy with your spouse, and one of you starts yelling, Hey, I love you! What did that make you do? Did you feel very intimate? Of course not. What did Elijah need in that moment? Hey, son, I'm proud of you. You stared down and stood down, those 800 prophets. Jezebel's coming at you. It's okay. I've got a plan. What's his plan? He takes a single prophet and turns him into the father of the prophets. Who's he show him? Elisha who would carry a double portion anointing of his spirit. And then there's, right before Elijah is taken up in the spirit, there's 50 sons, 50 sons, let me hear you say 50 sons, 50 significant, right? You're a jubilee, there's breakthrough. 50 sons of the prophets come and observe this thing. So the attack was to stop one prophet, and the fruit on the other side of the attack is now there's a bunch of them that are sons and daughters, that's the response of the Lord bringing the kingdom of light. There's a clash of kingdoms taking place right now. It's not just worldviews. It's not just politics. It's not just philosophies. It's kingdoms. It's places of authority, economy, political chaos, social upheaval, the redefinition of the most basic facts. Like, what's a woman? What's a man? Boo, right? <laughs> what's the definition of inflation? Well, it's this thing in Wikipedia, da, 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 da. Like, it's, this is not political. 
It's spiritual. It's a clash of a kingdom that's coming to be able to say, because what, what, let me give you a good example. What did the devil do with Jesus? It is written. He redefined what is written. So he can get you to come into alignment with a different it is written. And the Lord's going, now it's always been written. The word is eternal. You can't rewrite my word because you can't rewrite who I am. I am. Jesus is the living word of God. Relationship with the living word. It's a clash of kingdoms. So what we must do is we must guard against belief systems. We must believe against the thought that there's no practical hope for what's going on in the world. Without God, it's impossible, but with him, all things are possible. And I'm not saying that persecution won't come. It will. Welcome it. When persecution comes, I knew it was coming. Let me bring the persecution of heaven to the persecution of the devil. Do you hear what I'm saying? When a demon starts coming at you, you go, and they in the name of Jesus, be silent. You've already been prosecuted in the courts of heaven. Do you understand? It's trying to persecute you. Won't you prosecute it? Won't you sentence it? The place that Jesus has prepared for you, go to there because you ain't coming here. Not in my city, not in my family, not in my region, not in my nation, not in my sphere of influence. We have to understand there's a shift that's coming place. But what I am saying this is when God brings supernatural breakthrough, it stands as a stark contrast to what the kingdom of darkness is intending to happen. Jesus says, when I come back, will I find faith? I'm just going to tell you this. The world looks at the church, and really what they're asking, will I find faith there? That there's something bigger than the attack on my life. They're thinking the same thing. There's got to be more to life than this crazy junk going on. Am I wrong? That's what they're thinking. And what they're looking for, will I find faith in the church? Because whenever you move with the faith of Jesus, when I hit this, it's not just faith in Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to infill you so you could operate in the faith of Jesus. Jesus outsourced his faith to you. Are we good? Lazarus was dead for multiple days. His sisters were disappointed that Jesus hadn't come. To them, their brother was dead, but to Jesus, he was just asleep. What about your circumstances and situations? You're going to run across people who think things are dead, and you're going to see in the Spirit, no, they're just asleep waiting for me to come about and wake them up. For the women with the issue of blood for 13 years, it could have been impossible and hopeless, but when she saw Jesus, she knew it was at time. The crowd tried to shout down and shut down blind Bartimaeus when he cried out to Jesus to heal him. He didn't let that stop him. God made the impossible possible despite what the crowd is saying. I don't care what those without faith are saying. If they don't have the faith of Jesus, they don't get to influence my faith, my belief. I'm called to influence theirs. 
So what's our strategy? It requires the renewing of your mind. It requires renewing your identity. It requires prayer and intimacy. And yes, I believe that God answers even weak faith prayers. He does. Holy, you see this. He just needs a mustard seed of faith. But I believe we're in a time right now, there's this unique time and place in history where the Lord's saying this, am I seeing faith in the realm? Are you, are you, can you pray bold prayers? It's going to require you really believing that God is who he says he is. You must be like the disciples from Acts chapter 4 that were told, don't ever preach Jesus again. They were told, and they, they respond back, should we obey you or should we obey God? That was their response. Then they returned to a prayer house, and they prayed for more boldness. I want you to hear this. Orphans don't pray bold prayers. They only boldly believe lies. Orphans don't pray bold prayers. They only boldly believe lies. And what if you boldly believe that God is who he says he is, that you are who he says you are, and you prayed boldly, and then the demons would actually tremble? Are we good? This is our year to advance. Why don't you stand up with me? And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to pray Romans 8, 25, declare it over you. So if you just get your hearts in position and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? What belief needs to become your belief? What memory needs to become your memory? What event in my past needs to become the event that Jesus encounters? What current circumstance circumstance am I in that needs the power of heaven? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And that's to clear over this family right now that we know that God causes all things to work together for our good because God loves us and we love him. We know that God causes all things to work together according to his purpose and his plan because he foreknew us. He predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And to those who became his brothers and sisters, he predestined, he called us. He called this house, he called these people to justify. And he justified us so that he could glorify us. So we just say together now, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, will trouble, will persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or a sword? But in these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For we are convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of 
the plan and the destiny of God that is found in Jesus. And so, Lord, I just say, release your spirit, Lord God, the same way that you went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. We ask right now, would you fill us now? Whether we're in the wilderness, we're coming out of the wilderness, we're in a place of, of actual prosperity, Lord, fill us with your presence. We recognize we can't do anything outside of the fullness of your Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, now. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Touch every single person and transform us. Just in this place right now, if you're standing there and saying, I don't know where I'm going to go if I die. You have not yet been born again. It's time to give your life, your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, your body, your future, your past, over completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's time to trade in your sin nature for the nature of the Son. It's time to trade in the destiny of those who don't believe in God to the destiny and the inheritance of those who actually fully are in his family. That's you right now to say, that's me. And just pray this prayer. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Nothing is off limits to you, Jesus. Transform me completely and fully and have your way in me. And fill me with your spirit. And we just declare this right now in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Come on. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.